It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're really pleased to have join us back on the program today, Samuel Benson. Of course, he uh, has been a writer for Deseret News, Deseret.com, and currently is uh, out in Washington, D.C. with Politico. Uh, Samuel, thanks for joining us today. Of course, Boyd. It's my pleasure. Uh, you had a piece in Politico today uh, talking about this next round. We keep hearing the sanctions and who's being targeted with what. And uh, today the announcement came down that uh, the president of Belarus, his wife, and a number of other Russian officials uh, are now the targets of some of these sanctions. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Alexander Lukashenko is the president of Belarus, and he's been in cahoots with uh, Vladimir Putin. He's a close ally. Uh, he's, he's been the president of, of Belarus for almost 30 years, ran on kind of an anti-corruption platform, um, but has led really a very, very corrupt government there. And of course, with Russia's war on Ukraine, um, he's been a close, close ally of Putin. He's allowed Russian troops to, to be in Belarus and to attack across the Belarus-Ukrainian border. He's provided hospitals and morgues for both the treatment of Russian soldiers and to bury the Russian dead. And the United States is doing all they can to prevent um, any American entities or properties uh, to be for his benefit. So it, as you look at that, uh, you mentioned this uh, 30-year run, uh, and he, he really has been kind of the, the last strongman, so to speak, uh, in terms of that total authoritarian uh, and so ironic, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, he came in really on a anti-corruption platform and uh, and now con- controls it all. Absolutely, and, and people need to remember this isn't the first time that the U.S. has sanctioned him. I mean, under George W. Bush back in 2006, I believe 2004, um, they they uh, put a, a block on all of his properties or interests here in the United States, so he couldn't benefit on anything here uh, financially in the U.S. So this is pretty much the same exact sanction uh, under the same executive order, but just you know, ten plus years later. Uh, but yeah, he's been up to it for a long time. But with the worsening situation in Russia, uh, the Biden administration just saw fit, along with the Treasury Department, the, this, the Department of State, they saw fit to to introduce these sanctions now and make sure that he isn't. Um, having any staying power in terms of aiding Vladimir Putin during this attack on Ukraine. Uh, I think it's so interesting that, and you pointed this out in your piece, that it was 2006 that uh, then President George W. Bush uh, put those first sanctions on him. And it, are, are we finding as we go through this process on sanctions and targeting some of these oligarchs and, and uh, strongmen uh, in these governments uh, that maybe this is something we should have done a long time ago or maybe stuck to a little closer uh, or a little stronger uh, long before? Anytime the Biden administration has asked these types of questions, asked, is it working or should we have done this before? And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. What we do know for sure and what, what Jen Psaki and folks at the White House continue to say is that the, the Russian economy is devastated. I mean, the Russian ruble is down more than 50 percent of its value. It's worth less than our American penny is now. And so so these these sanctions, both on Russian economy, on their federal banks, on oligarchs like we saw today, it's definitely working. The issue is how do you define working? Is that measured by, you know, economic stability or is that measured by by the actions of Vladimir Putin? We're seeing massive economic benefits or excuse me, um, 
economic detriment. It's wrecking the economy, but we really haven't seen an effect on Vladimir Putin's decision-making. He continues to send troops into Ukraine. He continues to kill civilians, and he continues to blame it all on the Ukrainian people, uh, throwing up these false flags, saying that they're the ones committing genocide, or they're the ones that are Nazis, and he's performing this denazification. So yes, on the one side, we're seeing huge economic benefit uh, uh, from, from, you know, from a Western NATO standpoint. Uh, to, on the downside, it's really not having that big of an impact on Vladimir Putin's decision-making to this point. Yeah, it is so interesting to see how that impacts uh, both what is uh, happening with Vladimir Putin, but also as we take it all the way down to the next level to the people. Obviously, the people of Ukraine have not been uh, greatly benefited yet because uh, Vladimir Putin continues to invade. Uh, we do know this is having an impact in Russia, but again, most of that impact seems to be on the, the poor, the most vulnerable, uh, as opposed to those in positions of power. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of the focus from the, the, the Treasury here in the United States to target oligarchs is so powerful. I mean, there was a list of 11 more individuals, most of whom are involved with the, the Ministry of Defense in Russia that were targeted, that can no longer travel to the United States, nor can their families. And all of their properties or, or financial things that they're getting interest off of in the United States are blocked. And so, I mean, as, as folks within Putin's circle start to get cracked down upon financially, we could see if that has an impact again. It, it'll take some time to, to see the, the legitimate effects on Vladimir Putin's decision-making, and who knows if it will. Yeah. I want to quickly jump to two other areas just to get your perspective, uh, Samuel, on one, uh, of course, just within the last couple of hours, we've heard the announcement that President Biden will go to Europe, he'll go to Brussels uh, to be part of those meetings. What are you hearing about that? What's the expectation? What's the desired outcome uh, with this announcement? Yes, yeah, so this news just broke less than an hour ago in Jen Psaki's you know, press briefing this afternoon. She's the one that said that he is going to be there on March 24th and they're going to host a NATO summit. And they're going to talk about, you know, deterrence, defense, just reaffirming, you know, the United States support for NATO allies. But he's also going to be there for a European Council summit. That's already been scheduled. That's been on the calendar for months on March 24th and 25th. But Saki clarified that the goal there will be twofold, to discuss more economic sanctions and then also to offer humanitarian support. So we're really not sure what will come out of this visit. This is his third international trip since becoming president and second trip to Belgium. Um, but it is important. It's, it's, a, it's probably the most massive sign of solidarity for, to the Ukrainian people yet to show that a president is willing to travel across the world uh, to stand with NATO allies physically and to see what we can do to aid the folks in Ukraine. Fantastic. And then finally, Samuel, uh, sad news that we have seen over the last 24 to 36 hours, uh, two journalists, uh, one from the New York Times and, of course, a cameraman from uh, Fox News uh, have been killed uh, in Ukraine. Uh, what's the sense back there in terms of how things continue to escalate as these kind of, of uh, unnecessary uh, deaths occur as those who are trying to report the truth and, and share what's going on with the rest of the world. How's the feeling about that uh, back east? Well, Boyd, I think, I think you and I both feel this. I mean, you're in Salt Lake City, I'm in Washington, and neither of us are on the front lines in, in Kiev or anywhere in Ukraine. We're not having to, we're reporting on this, but we're not seeing all of this calamity and destruction and death firsthand. And, and so it does hit close to home. I mean, you see so many different folks at Fox News talking about Pierre Krzyzewski, the, the cameraman, or this other Ukrainian journalist, Alexandra Kushinova, who was also killed yesterday, saying, I was just with them getting coffee two days ago, or I saw them just weeks ago, or he took photos for me. And it, it makes it real, right, when you have someone that's in your industry covering the same things that you are, but are literally there on the front lines and then are, are, are killed by, you know, by Russian soldiers shot while in their vehicles. 
it's awful. It's heartbreaking. And it, it really does make it real. Just the, the horrors and the claims that we're seeing. It's, it's not just something that's on TV or on social media, but this is, this is real life. And it really, it really makes you think and it makes your heart ache. Yeah. So many, so many tough things uh, as we continue to navigate our, our way through this more and more of them getting closer and closer to home. I think we heard President Zelensky as he spoke to uh, the Canadian Parliament today, uh, really bringing it home and trying to get them to imagine, you know, if these bombs were falling on their towns or their hospitals or their children. Uh, and it is getting closer and closer to home. We'll continue to watch that. Uh, as always, Samuel Benson, great writing and uh, great thinking. Uh, appreciate you jumping on with this today. Of course. Thank you, Boyd. So one of the things that I thought was most interesting of, of Sam's comments uh, was the fact that these sanctions that were placed on the president of Belarus, Alexander Lushenko, are the same sanctions that were put on him in 2006 by then-President George W. Bush. At that time, they were for political corruption and committing human rights abuses related to political repression in Belarus. So that causes me to question, are these sanctions against these authoritarians and uh, these oligarchs do they really have an impact if if here we are 15 years down the road and we're just putting these same san- sanctions back on these same people uh, have we really moved the needle are we really doing the kinds of sanctions that are going to impact them in a way that will cause behavioral change because again ultimately that's what we're after it's the net result so to me that raises a lot of questions about the sanctions and how effective are they really going to be we'll go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news and when we come back of course a lot of political pundits are saying democrats are in trouble for the midterms is that true depends on if they face the right uh reality and ask the right questions Catherine rample from uh, washington post will join us to talk about it coming up next stay with us on ksl news radio Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.